Welcome to the Top Order podcast. Our latest guest had a first-class career spanning more than 20 years, including over a decade for Worcestershire before moving to New Zealand and playing 37 tests and 75 ODIs for his adopted country. Perhaps best known for opening the bowling in the 92 World Cup, Dipak Patel repeated the dose in 93 to help spin New Zealand to a rare test victory against Australia. Since his playing days, he's stayed in the game as a coach, stints with Central Districts, New Zealand under-19s and Papua New Guinea. We talk about coming through the grades, predominantly as a batsman, England ambitions, the move to New Zealand, a tough introduction to international cricket, the 92 World Cup, of course, and plenty more in this entertaining chat. Dipak, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Thank you, Ben. Looking forward to it. So look, we wanted to kick off, I guess, first by looking, as we do with every guest that we get on the pod, just with your cricketing background. So for those of um, our listeners that sort of don't know your background, you were born in, in Nairobi before moving to England around what, 10 years old or so. When did you start playing cricket? Was that in, in Kenya or not until you arrived in England? Uh, no, no. Uh, cricket was probably yeah, the main sport for me growing up around uh, uh, my four uncles uh, who all played uh, international cricket for, for Kenya. So, and Dad, although he was not quite good enough to be as good as his brothers, but, uh, you know, he was obviously a very keen follower of his brothers and so forth. And, uh, yes, basically, uh, we, we grew up around cricket uh, 24-7, really. And then moved to moved to England when you were 10 years old, is that right? Uh, yeah, I moved there in 1968, so uh, yeah, I just uh, turned nine, uh, and uh, we arrived in uh, what I would describe the, at best the most uh, freezing winter that uh, England ever had in 1968, February, so uh, yeah, uh, we, we, we left Kenya in, like within 24 hours during Exodus, so uh, yeah, we weren't really prepared for what was ahead of for, for us in in, in in England? And what are your early cricketing memories then in the English game? Well, well, to be honest with you, uh, when we first arrived in England, um, although cricket was sort of my passion, football really took over uh, because we arrived in the middle of winter, and you know, just just started primary school, and and really they didn't know a lot. The school that I went to didn't play a lot of cricket. Uh, soccer was obviously the main main sport. So, you know, I, it wasn't until actually one of the teachers watched me playing uh, during the summer in the, the in the school yard, um, and and uh, he said, "Oh, hold on," he says, uh, "We don't play cricket, but looks like we might be able to build a team around you." And I said, "Well, yeah, if you want to play, I'd be keen to play." And that's how it really all started. Um, with my cricket in in, uh, in England was uh, at primary school. And then did you play rep cricket leading up to your first class debut for Worcestershire? What was your yeah? What was the sort of local cricket or representative cricket you played? Well, the, the only like I said, we played one game every year. They used to have a, a, a national primary tournament, and uh, our school entered the competition and in the very first game actually. Uh, the funny thing was he actually played in the back the sort of playground 
of the school. And literally the boundaries were sort of on it, 20, 30 metres. And we won the first game. And then we went to play at a school in, in Stafford, uh, which had a proper cricket ground and it was a bit of a, a culture shock for most of our lads uh, in the team. And I was fortunate enough to take all 10 wickets. And that's when it all really came to fruition for me, was that uh, suddenly the teacher thought that perhaps he's, he's a little bit better than that, so we should actually take him to a local career club. And uh, uh, I went along to, he actually took me, Mr. Snee. Uh, he took me to West Bromwich Dartmouth, which is in West Bromwich in Birmingham. And uh, yeah, so that was in, I think it was 1970 when I first played any form of club cricket as such, formal cricket anyway. Um, I always used to run around and score for my uncles when they were playing club cricket in, in, in England, uh, but never uh, officially as a, as a player myself. So so that's how it all started for me. Yeah, well, I should probably um, probably point out, I actually played my junior cricket at Dartmouth um, growing up as a lad. Started a little bit after you, so probably the early early 90s so look I got very very fond memories of Samuel Park but moving forward to I guess oh, your, all right, okay. <laughs> moving forward I guess to your, your Worcestershire Worcestershire days what was county cricket like as you were getting into the game so you had a, a very long career for Worcestershire how did that evolve well it all came about me playing uh, initially after playing club cricket I, I trialed for Staffordshire and I played under 14s and then when the same year that I played under 14s, I actually represented Staffordshire under 16s, uh, and I was at a uh, a national tournament, and uh, I got recognised by by Warwickshire and North Ham. And that same um, uh, summer, and uh, I, I got selected for the Midland Schools as 11, and and that's when I got spotted by a couple of scouts from Warwickshire and North Ham. And I, at the time, I don't know if you remember him, but Dartmouth, uh, Dougie Slade was my coach. He was an ex-Worcester player. And uh, he he coached me for about three, four years, basically taught me everything that I I eventually sort of went up before I went to Worcester. But uh, I, I trialled at Northampton and Warwickshire. But uh, in, in the long run, I think that the fact was Dougie was my coach and he recommended that I should go to I'd probably get lost in Warwickshire. It was such a big county, and you know I could hardly speak English and all that sort of thing. So he took that all to the account, and then he took me to Worcester. And yeah, and I think it was I think I trialled there in 1974, and then 74, 75, and I uh, signed a, a professional uh, part-time contract in the summer of 75. Nice, and and um, I think many New Zealanders sort of, of of our era will sort of remember you more as a bowler. Um, but but was it right that you were sort of predominantly selected as a batsman at that point in your career? Oh, totally, yeah, very much so. Yeah. Mm. I always bowled uh, when I represented Young England and so forth. I was a a leg spinner, uh, well, sorry, a batsman bowled a little bit of leg spin mm. and a mixture of off spin. Um, so when I first signed on it, was so yeah, I was a top order batsman. I sort of batted anything from three to to six. So yeah, initially that's where it all came about. And it wasn't until I signed up uh, professionally in 1975 that uh, Basil Oliveira, who was the coach at Worcester at the time, um, and uh, he was due to retire that year, and he he used to bowl some tight prime offspinner because. 
Worcester never really had a, a spinner under Norman Gifford, who was the captain ex- uh, England and Worcester left arm spinner. Uh, and they were trying to sort of blood another youngster, and they they felt that you know uh, that I had the potential, and under Norman I'd, I'd, I'd flourish. So yeah, that's how it all came about. That I I really didn't start bowling off until I was probably in my second or third year as a as a county cricketer. Mm. And I mean, you just made, named a couple of um, quality quality cricketers there as well. But I mean, who were some of the county pros on the scene at that time? I mean, yeah, just thinking about. Back in the day, it seemed like all the top cricketers would go and play county cricket. Well, to be honest with you, county cricket in those days was phenomenal. Um, very tough. You know, you, you probably had the best overseas uh, county professionals playing uh, during that era. So sort of the sort of yes, uh, through seventy five through to nineteen eighty five ninety. You know, incredible the, the, the quality of cricket, but. When I first joined Worcester, I was in awe of the fact that you know I had people like uh, Ron Headley, Glenn Turner, uh, John Parker, uh, Basil D'Oliveira, Norman Giffen, uh, and then he had the fast bowlers in Bamburn Holder, West Indian fast bowlers. So, you know, to be able to rub shoulders, but not only rub shoulders, but to be in the same sort of room as them and, and learning your trade was overwhelming at the time because. You know, I'd never left home. Uh, now suddenly I was playing professional cricketer at the age of 16 uh, and rubbing shoulders with supposedly the people that I used to sit down and watch cricket for, for hours and then, you know, the, the greats. And uh, so, yeah, look, I, I was very fortunate that uh, I was in a, a professional environment uh, under these, 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 these great international cricketers. And and I read that um, that you there was some talk early on in your career of, of playing for England and things like that. Did how how close did you feel like that got? Well, yeah, I, I, I was told I was very close. Uh, mm. Norman Gifford uh, uh, was the selector at the time. He was an England selector, so you know I used to get obviously little taps on the shoulders to say that I'm I'm very close. Uh, I've represented. Uh, young England on on, on two occasions, uh, one uh, tour of uh, America and South America, and another one to Australasia, and I'd done really well. Uh, and I think it was about 1980 that I'd had a very big, although I had a couple of big seasons. Uh, and and after the whitewash in 1975, when the West Indies were touring, uh, I'd had a couple of big years. And I think he was either second or third test at the no, sorry, at Trent Bridge. And you know, I was, I was told by Norman that yep, look, they've been struggling, and, and you know, I, I I played fast bowling pretty well. I thought, and it was sort of the forte that really brought me to the forefront, to the in front of the England selectors. And I was told that I'd be playing in at the uh, Trent Bridge test. Mm. It never eventuated, but in the next few years, uh, you know, I. I did the double of thousand runs and fifty wickets for about five wow. seasons, and uh, you know it's it sort of obviously. I, I, again, I was told that I was going to Australia. I was told that I was going to India, but it never really came about. And mm. I think through sort of nineteen eighty through to about eighty four, uh, I got quite disillusioned because I just wasn't making headway. I, I achieved everything that I possibly could do as a county cricketer. I just wasn't getting the breaks. So, mm. 
yeah, from then and for the next couple of years, really my cricket, although I, I still performed well, uh, but never really got the recognition that I started to, yeah, my, my hunger to play county cricket was building quite badly, to be honest with you. And I was seriously thinking of the fact that my wife was from New Zealand and I always loved the lifestyle in New Zealand that uh, perhaps, you know, that, that could be my next move was to, to immigrate, not necessarily to play cricket, but I just love the country that that, that would be my next move. Mm. And and I mean, when you when you did move here, it sort of wasn't long before you were selected for New Zealand. I feel like maybe did you only have one season for Auckland before that time? Uh, yeah, well, I came over um, as I said. I, I coached Birkenhead City. Uh, I was their professional coach for for four years. So I started in nineteen eighty, and then eighty four. And then 85, I actually coached uh, Auckland because Clive Bradley was the, the coach from about, I think it was 82 to 85. And then he decided not to come back. And he actually rang me in England and said, look, mate, I, I've decided about not going back to Auckland. They're very keen and I've recommended that you, you, you'd be a very good coach. You've played club cricket, you know the players and and that they hold you in high regard, would you be interested? And I said, well, look, certainly I would be. I I was going to take a break that year in 1985. So I thought, well, bigger opportunities. Uh, being and my wife was very keen to get back home and had a, a summer off and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I took up the opportunity. And as it transpired that um, Glenn Turner, I think it was John Bracewell, broke his finger against the Australians and they were struggling to... To, to find a replacement, and he rang me in '85 and said, "Well, would you be interested in playing for New Zealand?" And I said, "Well, I wouldn't turn down playing international cricket. That is for sure." Mm. So they did their homework, and apparently, because I'd been uh, playing and and, and 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 wanting to immigrate to New Zealand, that the, the five years that I'd been playing and coaching in New Zealand was enough to qualify because I'd, I owned a home. My daughter was born in New Zealand. So it's it sort of, but however, I just signed a new contract with Worcestershire, uh, a three-year deal, and I contacted them anyway. And New Zealand Cricket came back and said, "Look, yeah, we, we we're very keen. Is there any way you can get out of your contract?" As it legally, I couldn't, uh, and uh, disappointingly, I, I I had to turn it down. So, 1985, I went back in '86. I had another very big year. I think I might have scored about 12, 1300 runs and taken my locket of, of wickets and never got a recognition and and that was when I made that decision. Uh, I spoke to Glenn and Glenn said, well look, if you come back and you have a good season uh, yeah, we, we would be very seriously looking at to select you. So I came back in 80, 86 and I think I scored about seven or 800 runs for Auckland that year and taking 30 or 40 wickets and yeah, that's when uh, I made my debut in '87 against the West Indies. Yeah, and I mean, what what was that moment like? Given you'd kind of grown up, I guess, probably dreaming of playing for England, was it weird at all playing for a different country? Well, weird in the sense that it happened so quickly. But no, I mean, you know, I was a, a foreigner playing playing county cricket, so that was never, nothing too different. Mm. And you know, and I'd played six years in in New Zealand, and I knew probably ninety percent of the the New Zealand players anyway. Uh, and the fact that I'd played in '85 and '86 for Auckland, 
so yeah, I, I sort of proved myself. I thought that you know I'd done enough to to be accepted in the in the the, 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 the cricket fraternity as far as first class cricket was concerned. So no, I I sort of uh, I felt very comfortable, and I was more than welcome by by the New Zealand cricketers. So um, no, it wasn't overwhelming, but uh, yeah, I, I, I suppose. The downside was that I made my debut against probably the, the greatest uh, uh, cricket team in, uh, internationally, the West Indies, in uh, nineteen yeah nineteen eighty seven eighty eight. Yeah, I was going to say you, you said you were quite comfortable there. What what about when Holding and Garner and Marshall and Walsh were running in? Well, that that, that was a big shock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the fact that I'd been very successful against most of those guys at county cricket, but you know when you playing them uh, on their own uh, with one. Uh, older in the team, but when you get four of them coming at you all day, uh, yeah, it was a real shock, uh, I must admit. Uh, and it's probably something that I really wasn't ready for, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'd had a reasonable series against them, nothing too flash, but, you know, I didn't really let myself down, but, yeah, it was uh, it was a daunting task, put it that way. Um, and I remember uh, after the three test series talking to Clive Lloyd, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd been a very good friend of his actually during the my county era as well. And he said, "Look, mate, this is international cricket. It's a it's a big jump." Uh, and it took me a few years to actually really get quite comfortable on the inter- international scene. Uh, so, yeah, I had my ups and downs, and uh, and it probably did take me a good, you know, ten or twelve test matches before I actually start to appreciate. How to handle the pressure and the, the sort of a, a playing test cricket? Yeah, I mean, how does that West Indian side compare to some of the the great sides that we've seen? I guess since then. Well, I, I suppose they're always going to the sort of the Australians during the, oh, I suppose the, the the sort of the late eighties and nineties, uh, and certainly in two thousand. Yeah, I suppose if, if you compare the two, they they're sort of reasonably equal, but I. I personally think the West Indians were a more complete team. You know, uh, they just certainly played a, a different brand of cricket, um, which I don't think we'll ever see that again. Mm. You know, when you look at the quotated of, of fast bowlers, I mean, they could have picked anything, any fast bowlers from about 20, 25 bowlers who were all as good, if not as quick as well, as each other. Mm. Uh, but when you look at their batting lineup and, and, and so forth, uh, there was pretty phenomenal really to be honest with you uh, and the brand of cricket they played too is pretty exciting and, and yeah um, whereas the Australians during the the, the, the the next year if you'd like to say that you know they too they probably didn't have the same bowling uh, power uh, as what the West Indians had as far as fast bowling was concerned but then you know, you've only got to throw in Shane Warne on his own. Uh, well, that's a different kept professional together. Mm. And look, we just want to touch on a couple of um, a couple of the highlights from your your Test career. I, uh, potentially, this isn't a highlight, but I really wanted to talk um, to you about um, the Pakistan tour in 1990. I um, I remember reading Chris Pringle's book back in the day, and it, it just sounded like that tour was just a crazy one. Like um, I remember him talking about the fans. Uh, throwing rocks onto the ground and, and you guys getting called off in a one day or something like that? 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was well. That, that was one of my sort of uh, several comebacks that I had through my career. But uh, John Bracewell and a number of players had retired, and you know, and uh, Martin Crow had taken over the captaincy, and uh, Martin came to see me at home, and we sat down and had a chat, and he'd sort of built me up to be the best spinner in the country, and all this sort of stuff. And we arrived in in, uh, in Karachi, I remember, and. Uh, and uh, uh, Imran Khan refused to play against us because he called us the C team that turned up and he didn't have time to play against oh. weak teams and all that sort of thing. You know, it, it was quite disheartening, to be honest with you. But, I mean, uh, Martin, uh, made a, Martin and uh, Warren Mees had made a you know, magnificent effort of, 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 of getting a group of cricketers who who were – just above average, and some were very good. Obviously, Martin and Andrew Jones, and a couple that you can name that you felt that that they were international players of that recognition. And we arrived there, and we we'd had a terrible tour. Um, I don't think we won one game on on tour, but you could just see what Martin and, and Warren were doing. They were building up a quite a good squad, but certainly. The, the, the conditions and, and what we encountered with with Wacker and Wazing was unbelievable. The, the, the sort of the advent of reverse swing, and uh, you know I'm sure that's already been well documented, and particularly by Pring, the fact that I don't think that if they ever found the footage of that particular test series, if you ever wanted to see the full effects of reverse swing where the ball was just hooping after, you know, we, we would be 70 for, for one, uh, 140 all out. Um, and that's when we learned how to reverse swing. And I think history speaks for itself with Spring's uh, efforts in Flyzabad in the third test, which we really should have won. But dare I say it, but uh, the umpires played their part and make sure that we, we didn't win that test. But I think we lost it by about 20 or 30 runs. And again, uh, yeah, look, um, that was probably one tour that, you know, if you look at the success that we had in the 92 World Cup, I would say the catalyst was the fact that, you know, Warren and, 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 and Martin had, uh, had done their homework and, and started to prepare for the 92 World Cup on, on that tour. And so a tour like that, that you're saying it sort of brought you together, really, that, you know, I guess losing all those games and, and everything up against you sort of could feel like you know, it could almost pull you apart, but it sounds like it was almost a positive experience for the team. Oh, yes, definitely. Results-wise, it was awful. Uh, no question about it. But amongst all that, we, we stuck together. You know, we, we, there's not a lot to do when you tour uh, Pakistan anyway. Um, and the fact was that, that, that Martin and, and Warren had, uh, had made plans. We weren't aware of that, uh, but, you know, they were very smart in what they were doing and, you know, they were playing two years ahead for the 92 World Cup and certainly uh, they probably they probably selected a, a number of players on that tour uh, that they were, they were going to groom for the for, for the World Cup um, and that togetherness uh, certainly started in, in, on that tour of Pakistan in 1990. Mm. Well, we definitely do want to want to talk about that 92 World Cup but it, just a couple more from, from your tests. I was doing a bit of uh, YouTube searching and there's a couple of clips of, of you on there. Unfortunately, one of them is that run out of, on 99 coming back for, for three against England. Do, do you 
do you sort of still think about that moment? Oh, look, yeah. You can think about it all day, and <laughs> I get reminded about it more than often than you, more often than you think. So, yeah. oh, look, yeah, it was just one of those fortunate, fortunate things, and you know, you wouldn't read about it, but obviously there was two, there was one other person who did the same thing as me. So, yeah. uh, I don't know which one was worse: a righty's uh, run out or dumping, you could call it, or me ran out on the ninety-nine uh, on, on the third run. Look. I'd had a great series against England, uh, and I, I took wickets. I, I scored runs, uh, and literally, I, I don't think I was in the running uh, prior to that series starting for the World '92 World Cup. I don't think I've played a game uh, in a one-day international since the World Series. Uh, so, yeah, look, uh, it's it certainly that that series. Although uh, we drew, I think we drew the the, the Test series, but we lost the the one day. Three nil. Now, I was selected in that particular series for the one days, but never played a game. But I got selected for the for the World Cup. So, yeah, look, there was mixed feelings about that particular. But leading into it, uh, I was very confident. I, 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 I built up a fair, fair bit of self belief and esteem within uh, within the squad as well, uh, and that played a big part in terms of how we move forward in, into the World Cup. But, um, yeah, that, that series, uh, prior to the 92 World Cup against England, uh, I think there was a lot of hard work had gone in with Warren Lee and, 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 and uh, Martin Crow, uh, that what they started uh, in 1990 in, in Pakistan and to when we finished that series, before we went to Australia uh, for the opening of the 92 World Cup, uh, I would say that, um, yeah, there was a lot of good, positive planning by those two guys. Deepak, you started your career as a, a, a guy who batted number five and, and bowled a bit. Um, I remember your career when, when I started watching you in the in the like early to mid-90s as, as a, a really good off-spin bowler for New Zealand. How did you see yourself when you sort of first came onto the scene and how did you see yourself evolve over your career? Did you think you became more of a bowling all-rounder as your career went on? Well, yeah, well, that choice was taken away from me basically by selectors and so forth. Um, you know, I, I was a very competent uh, top-order batsman, no question. I, I had a lot of self-belief, but um, I, I was... I suppose in many ways I just wasn't allowed to play my natural game. Uh, you know, I, I look at how batsmen bat nowadays, and it's sort of a carefree sort of freedom to be able to bat and, and, and express yourself. Uh, in my era, you just you'd never had that freedom. Um, the game was played in a different way. Whereas my, I was a successful batsman at the top of my game. Uh, in the sort of early '80s uh, and through the, the, the mid '80s, where I, I was, I played my natural game. And when I got to the international level, I found that I was stifled. I, I just didn't have that freedom to be able to play my natural game. I, I should never have changed my style of batting. Uh, I should have just continued, continued to do what I, what I, I was successful with. Um, but I also came through an era where we probably didn't have that strength in our batting to, to, to allow me to do that. So, yeah, look, uh, I, I can't point fingers to any particular person or a coach or a captain. 
it was just me. I was trying to impress um, uh, the, 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 the selectors that, that you know I, I could change my game, and that was the worst thing I did. And if I look at my career post uh, uh, um, post ninety two, I probably batted as as well as I I probably clocked. You know, towards the end of my career, I think I've, I scored about nearly 900 runs, uh, averaging about uh, probably about 40, 45. Uh, but because I mm. had a, such a bad, bad start into international cricket, um, I never really flourished, to, and it didn't really allow myself to, to bat as well as I could do. I knew how good I was, but I just stifled myself. I never really allowed myself to. To play my natural game, and and, and yeah, that's 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 all in in the past now, and it's something that's easy to reflect after you finish. Yeah, you certainly had some great bowling performances. I mean, you took two sixes against Zimbabwe, performed really well against them across your Test career, and um, Stuart, in his research, uncovered that you opened the bowling against Australia and in Eden at Eden Park and dismissed Taylor Langer, Martin War, and Ian Healy to take a fiver to to win a Test match there. Um, was that was that five for yep. at Eden Park a real highlight for you? What did that feel like? Yeah, look, when you're playing against the best in the world, those are the ones that stand out. Um, you know, uh, the fact was that that we won the test. I mean, you know, you, your performance only count when you win win games. There's no question about it. And it's something that there was sort of something that I I learned when I first started playing county cricket. Um, you know, if you've got meaningful runs and, and taken wickets or catches or runouts that can can contribute towards a win, they're the ones that really stand out. And that, that, that no no question about it. I, I felt that you know that win against Australia to square the series at Eden Park was as good as bowling performance uh, that 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 I, I probably had for New Zealand. Um, you know, there was always. Little spells here and there. There was another one that we we won in Lahore when we beat Pakistan uh, in the second innings, and and, and I got, I think I got four. So those are the ones that really mean a lot, uh, and, and they're the, they're the performances that stay with you for, for forever. So yeah, look, you know, I I I I bowled in a very a weak bowling attack. You know, the the, 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 the odd test matches that I played and. And certainly, out of 38, I think it was, that I played, I probably only bowled well in, in probably that, say, 12 or 15, 15 test matches where literally, you know, I was bowling within the first hour of a test match. Uh, and I was probably used more as a stock bowler than I was an attacking bowler. But I there are a number of times where, where Martin would just throw me the ball and say, all I want you to do is just take wickets. I don't care how many you go for, but keep taking wickets. That's the belief that he had in me. And that, that, those were the times that I was successful playing under Martin uh, as a bowler. Uh, there's no question about it. So, look, you know, the, you can look back and, and, and break down your career. Uh, there's no question about it that my last 15 to 18 test matches were the most successful because I played under a captain who actually believed in me. Uh, and I didn't have that when I first started. And to be accepted in test cricket, at an international level, if you don't feel part of the team, and I've seen a number of young players going into national cricket, uh, 
thrown in the deep end and not really been backed. And I know the feeling. To belong in the international international level, you've got to have that confidence. You must have your peers behind you to be successful. There's no question about it. Yeah, I mean, you played under eight different captains for New Zealand in those in those test matches that you played. Was Martin really the one guy that was able to bring everyone together? I mean, I know you felt like that, but how did how did he make other guys in that side feel? Did he make them feel the same way? Oh, I think so. Oh, I think so. Look, uh, everybody's different, and 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 you know, at the end of the day, uh, the captain is is the most vital cog in in, in anything. And if he can make people tick. And if you look at our 92 World Cup team, look, we weren't a great side. We weren't a bad side. We were a very good average side. It's just that total belief in each other. There's no question about it. And a lot of that credit has to go to Martin Crowe in the main. But underneath it, uh, Warren Lees was, was just another, another person. Now, two people that have played a big part in my career is going back as far as when I first started uh, as a youngster in county cricket, and I, I, Warren Lees came and played for Worcestershire Second Eleven for, for a couple of years. Uh, I'd played against uh, Martin when he played. Uh, uh, we played each other against each other in, 19, I think it was 1980. Uh, he played for Young New Zealand. I played for Young England. Uh, we became friends from day one once we met at Eden Park. And that's the difference between successful cricketers at, at international level. If people, if cricketers are allowed to be who they are, under those sort of circumstances, you'll always see cricketers being successful. There's no question about it. And I think that, without doubt, um, you know, he's, still a, he's not only a, a very good close friend of mine, Martin, but. Uh, you know, he was a wonderful manager of uh, of cricketers. He he understood each individual, and he knew how to take get the very best out of it. Now, I also know a number of players didn't didn't think he was that good as a captain. But that's that's you know, uh, everybody's got their own, own opinion. But I I just felt that if you look through his career as a captain, he got the very best out of some very average or just above average players, because he actually did believe in them. And that goes a long way at, at that level. Yeah, and I mean, and you touched on the, the 92 World Cup there. I mean, I, I used to have a, a a video called Young Guns. It was about a three-hour-long video. And it was it was just about on repeat at my house for a few years there. I mean, uh, what, what, are the, what are sort of some of the moments that stand out when you think about that tournament? Well, everything that we did in that tournament, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, it was from the, the, the word go uh, when we arrived in Sydney for the opening of the World Cup. And, and again, the planning of Warren Lees and, and, and Martin Crowe was just second to none. And I remember us, uh, uh, we, we were due to go to uh, um, the harbour there on a, on a frigate to take the, the photo uh, of all the teams uh, before the opening dinner. And I remember us, we had to share a, a, a bus with um, with Australia. And Warren had made a, a big move to say that, all right, we are going to be the first lot on the, on the bus before the Australians and we're going to sit at the front. Because 
generally speaking, it's fair to say, uh, Kiwi cricketers were always in awe of the Australians. And Warren was well aware of that. And what he wanted to do was to make sure that we got at the front of the bus and make the Australians walk past us. And the looks that we got was the fact that, what are you guys doing sitting in the front of the bus? You know, And it really started from there. And even when we were on the frigate and we were taking photos, we were told that we needed to be a little bit more aloof and, and, and show that we had our own presence. And it sort of continued even to the day that we, when we played the Australians in the first game of the World Cup. Mm. And Warren has made a, a pact that uh, every individual in the team had to take a, 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 a player from the opposition and to own them. Um, and I remember the day of the morning of the game, when those days we used to drive around minibuses to Eaton Park and it was a big crowd. And we... We were travelling together and the Australians were, in fact, Dean Jones being as, as cocky as ever, he overtook our second bus and I was leading <laughs> the, the, the four, four vans. And as we were turning left into Rimmer's Road, I slammed the brakes on and Dino was right up, the, right up my bum there. <laughs> and he had to brake. <laughs> and I just turned around and I winked at Wally and I said, mate, I've done my bit. <laughs> I remember walking into, and I remember walking into the dressing room, and Zachy got the old chest sticking out, and he just kept staring at at uh, uh, Merv Hughes, and Merv Hughes turned around to Zachy and says, "What did you have for breakfast?" You know, and it sort of continued, and then when we stood uh, facing each other at uh, at the national anthem at the start of the game, Zachy kept bloody staring Merv. And it's the first time I've ever seen Move actually feel I'm very uncomfortable. Mm. And he just kept looking at Mo- uh, Patty and saying, what are you on, mate? You know. <laughs> and and to be honest with you, that's sort of set the tone for us for the, the rest of the tournament. And and I, I, I put it all down to Wally. Wally plays the cards properly and he, he'd worked out that he needed to get out that sort of that awe that we had against Australia. He needed to get it out of our system and... and I think history uh, speaks for itself for the rest of the tournament, really. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, you mentioned the, the buzz around the, the country, I guess, then. I mean, going into that semi-final, I mean, I, you know, I guess we'll have to talk about, you know, whether you'd started picturing the, the World Cup final in your head, but I guess what was that occasion like? Well, the first game certainly set the tone. It didn't matter where we went. I mean, uh, I remember driving to Hamilton for the next game and we stopped at the, I forget, there's a rugby sevens tournament on the way just, just outside Hamilton. I forget what it's called now. But I remember uh, uh, the two minibuses we were travelling down to Hamilton, we stopped and watched the sevens. And man, the, the number of, the, the, everybody stopped basically. You know, they all welcomed us in and rugby was taking second. I mean, that doesn't happen very often. In, in New Zealand, where rugby's sort of sick and takes a back seat, so so to speak. But it didn't matter where we went, we played golf in Hamilton. There was four or five hundred people on the golf course following us around. Uh, we went to Napier, where the whole airport was bloody, you know, full of people. It didn't matter where we went, it was just the fact of what we had created in that first game and how we continued doing that in that and winning and winning literally every game up till that. The, the last round of the the, the round robin, mm-hmm. um, so you know we 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 created our own 
sort of little nest of uh, uh, what we'd really needed to do to, to make the semi-final. I don't think we ever talked about the final, to be honest with you. Um, you know, Martin always had a team meeting. He never, uh, uh, we always, uh, he always addressed the, the opposition as the red team or the blue and white team. We never really addressed them as by their country. Mm. Um, so th- there was different strategies always used to sort of keep us with our feet firm on the ground. We 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 only focused on what we could do. Um, you know, and his strategies were. He never really shared his strategy with us as players. He always had his team meetings, but I don't think the team's meetings lasted more than five or six minutes, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of it was basically done at trainings. Uh, and I, I can honestly say this, every training that we had during the 92 World Cup, was you could hear a pin drop. You know, it was so focused, it was so precise in everything we did, they never lasted very long our training. They were very specific, which is very unusual in that era because we didn't have the, the, the big entourage of spin bowling coaches and strength and conditioning. All we had was Wally and and and, and Martin who who ran the team, and we had a team manager. Uh, so you know, that was that's how simple it was for us. And all we did, we just focused on each other. We'd never go anywhere unless it was a squad. We went to a restaurant, we always did it together. We went to a bar, we always did it together. So, yeah, I don't think we... Look, I could be wrong. Uh, other players may say that we, we did talk about the final, but I, I can't ever recall us even mentioning the final, even to the day when we walked out to the bowl in that last innings of the semi-final against Pakistan. We'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the Cricket World Cup in 92 and, and not mention your part in the quite revolutionary tactic, I remember at the time, of opening the bowling with spin. How did that come about? Was that part of the planning that you spoke about? Uh, not at all, to be honest with you. It certainly wasn't. In, I wasn't aware of it. If, if there was uh, uh, discussed or, or planned by Warren and, and, and Martin, but I only got wind of it. Uh, we'd been to Sydney for the opening of the World Cup, came back to Eden Park, and we had two days training. And I remember uh, Wally and, 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 and uh, uh, Ross Dyke uh, took me out to the number one ground, and the wicket was under cover. They pulled the covers off, and they said, oh, just bowl a few. And they gave me a brand-new cricket ball. And I just bowled a few on the wicket that we were going to use. Uh, in those days, you didn't have massive numbers of bloody press watching you or anything like that. So anyway, we went out there, I bowled a few, and then as I'm walking back, uh, uh, Wally came up to me and he gave me two brand new cricket balls, which is unusual yeah. for spinners unusual. who are using any decent <laughs> balls at, yeah. at training. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he said, look, I just want you to use that and I want you to bowl. And I bowled to Martin, uh, Andrew Jones and Ken Rutherford. And he, he, he allowed me to bowl three overs with one ball and he threw me another one. And I, it just didn't seem any, anything different to me. And I bowled pretty well to them. And then he pulled me aside and he said, look, there's two more. And he says, it'd be a strong possibility of you actually open the bowling against Australia. And to be honest, because I, I could never take Wally seriously, and I thought he was just taking the piss, to be honest with you. And I remember bowling, and then I came back in the dressing room, and it wasn't until I actually got back to the hotel, and I was rooming with Willie Watson. He goes, and he actually 
quizzed me about it and he said, what was that all about? He's bloody bowling with four brand new cricket balls at training. I said, I have no idea. And it wasn't until the next morning that we went to training that I was given a couple of new balls and Martin just took me aside and he said, look, uh, yes, uh, look, I know Wally's already had a chat, but uh, just be prepared. And, and it wasn't until I got back to the room that afternoon, the day before the the first game against Australia that it started to dawn on me and I thought well hold on I haven't played a one day international cricket, uh, a match for, for New Zealand for about two and a half years if my memory serves me well so here I am uh, on the verge of playing my first game in two and a half years the opening game of the World Cup and possibility of being opening because it had been discussed but it still wasn't confirmed uh, and then we went into the team meeting and then I got the tap on the shoulder from Martin to say, hey, mate, you're playing tomorrow. Yeah, it was a, a really revolutionary tactic at the time to open the bowling with spin, and it certainly worked really well for New Zealand. Um, after your playing days, you moved into coaching. Was that something that you always wanted to do? Yeah, coaching was. Uh, um, I, I always enjoyed it, uh, enjoyed helping people. Um, you know, I... I a lot of knowledge, obviously, because I've played so much first-class cricket and international cricket. Um, and it was something that I really wanted to sort of progress slowly into it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd coached Auckland, uh, even uh, even before I played international cricket. I'd coached a lot of red teams, under-17s and under-19s for Auckland uh, prior to me retiring. So I'd, I'd had a good feel for it. Um, and it's something that is could in many ways, it came quite naturally to me. Um, so, yeah, it was just a case of once I retired, uh, just take a back seat and try and get some sort of feel as to where I wanted to go. And uh, certainly coaching was one option. Um, and I was approached by several organisations, but Harry Packeranga Career Clubs uh, approached me literally within weeks. Uh, they were setting up a, an indoor cricket centre and in the Howick there in Pakaranga. Um, and it was a brand new facility and they gave me the free range to, to set up a, a cricket academy within the club. So, yeah, it sort of stemmed from that and then uh, Central Districts approached me as well. So, yeah, it sort of, it came about pretty quickly, to be honest with you. I didn't, didn't think it would happen that quickly as far as first class cricket was concerned. But it, um, yeah, I must admit, uh, yeah, it fell on my feet, really. Yeah, and I mean, you coached domestic cricket, uh, under-19s, New Zealand associate cricket with, with PNG. Um, what was what was it like coaching in, in Papua New Guinea? Uh, it's a rugby league mad country. What was it like to be involved with their cricket side? Oh, it's probably the best coaching gig I've ever done, to be honest with you. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I sort of been around the scene doing first class cricket for five years with Central and I did three, three, four years with the New Zealand under-19s and, you know, I applied for the Black Caps jobs on numerous occasions, got very close, but never got an opportunity and and I think sort of, you know, 12, 15 years later, I was sort of in the wilderness, really. I, I toyed with the idea of going to coaching county cricket, but just didn't quite fit in with my family, with, with the kids at school and university and that. So, yeah, but this opportunity was presented to me to go and have a look. And initially, I I sort of uh, 
yeah, I was taken back a little bit. You know, I didn't even know that PNG actually cut, uh, played cricket for a start. I was aware that they'd, they'd played at under-19 level, but never realised that they were, they were playing at the senior level. But, yeah, it was uh, Kieran McMillan, who's an ex-Auckland uh, um, uh, um, coach here in Auckland, but he went and worked for the ICC in, in Australia. He looked after the East Asia Pacific uh, region for the ICC, and he rang me and felt that it was um, an ideal opportunity and I'd be the ideal guy. So, yeah, I, I went over there for, spent three, 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 four days having a look at their, their setup, uh, which is pretty minimal, really, because they didn't play any home games. All, all their cricket was played in Australia. Mm. Their facilities weren't up to mm. the national standard. But, yeah, well, one, once I had a good look at the the players and the, the, the talent they had there, it was, it was amazing. I, I couldn't get over it, the, the, the quality of cricketers they had, not not only just at the national level, but even junior cricket, uh, phenomenal uh, natural talent. Uh, talent. But, um, yeah, I thought it was a great opportunity and uh, one that I'll always treasure for, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it's fantastic to see them now qualify for the T20 World Cup coming up, hopefully at the end of this year, if not early next year. We've had a couple of people on the podcast comment on the way that we can grow those associate nations by having them included in those bigger tournaments. What's your take on whether or not, you know, we need to expand cricket's big marquee events to have more teams and get more of those associate nations involved? Well, I think it's a bigger issue than just not uh, getting them involved in the, the bigger tournaments. But, you know, I think that uh, Australia and New Zealand have got to play a big part in in, in in promoting the associate countries, uh, perhaps getting them included into their domestic cricket as well, because I think they bring a, a different uh, flavour of cricket. Uh, mm-hmm. It's something new uh, for mm-hmm. the public as well. Uh, and they're good enough, there's no question about it, and, and I'll stick my neck out and say that they certainly uh, certainly beat majority of the uh, first-class teams here in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, I tried for a long time, uh, certainly for a couple of years, where we got pretty close to. Uh, I spoke to David White about it, and I know the board, the two boards, certainly did have some dialogue, and there was talks about us being included in the one-day competition, but never really eventuated. But mm. you now we played against, uh, mm. uh, we played in uh, in Australia, we played against all the state sides. Uh, we 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 beat three out of four. The one year that we were in, included in there pre-season um, uh, a program uh, in Australia. Uh, we beat the Tasmania, uh, South Australia, uh, Western Australia, and narrowly lost to uh, um, Queensland. So, you know, the, the potential is, is phenomenal. It's just the fact of the infrastructure and, and dare I say it, um, yeah, just the management side of it is very, very poor. But as far as cricket and cricketers, uh, and particularly, I'm talking about junior level, you're sort of eight to 12 year old. Uh, the talent is phenomenal. Um, it's very hard to describe to people, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you can go to the local villages and they're sort of running around in bare feet and playing competitions within the villages. You can just sit there all day and just watch because none of the kids have ever been coached and they just learn mm. purely by watching it on TV and from Australia and, and away they go. Uh, and you wouldn't touch any of them, to be honest with you. Just, they're just so naturally gifted and magnificent yeah. athletes. Uh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's fascinating. 
We, we couldn't uh, have you on here and, and not uh, ask you a question about the state of New Zealand spin bowling. I know you've you've done some work with uh, many of the the young guys on the scene and, and someone like Ajaz, I know you've had a lot to do with. How do you how do you sort of feel like New Zealand's going in the spin department at the moment? Well, we ain't going to get any better until we learn how to use them. <laughs> mm. um, I mean, I mean, it's a pretty sad state of fear, to be honest with you, the fact that, A, we don't pick the spinners in the home series, and, the, and when we do, they don't get a bowl. So what's mm. the point? Uh, so how are we going to develop the spinners? I mean, you can't just turn the tap on by taking them overseas, and they're expected to go you know, play in Asian conditions, and they're, they're supposed to win test matches. Mm. Uh, I think we've been very fortunate that the few good ones that we have got have done the job overseas, but that's that's their limitation. But they'd be lucky if they get four or five test matches a year. Well, you, you know, you've only got to look at the history of, of spin bowling and in, in the history of cricket, really. Um, you know, unless spinners are bowling in every test match, and uh, where they're bowling with anything between 30, 40 overs and bowling their fair share at first class level. Uh, that's the only way we're going to develop any world-class spinners. So, yeah, look, I, I think there is certainly talent there, but the mm. talent, talent can only be nurtured uh, and identified if they, if they get given a fair opportunity, and I don't think they, they're getting that opportunity in this country. Mm. I was just going to... Oh, sorry, Deepak, I was just going to ask, is, is that a function of captaincy? Is that a function of state of the wickets in New Zealand? I mean, often we, we tend to produce wickets that are conducive to seam bowling. Is it, is it a case of we need to produce wickets that are better for spin, or is it do captains need to have a different mindset around how they use their spin bowlers? What, what do you put it down to? Yeah, I think it's a combination of I don't think the, the conditions help. Uh, um, certainly at first-class level, they're certainly different to... The pitch conditions at first class level are a little bit more friendly to use spinners, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, but internationally, um, you know, it's fair to say that they do favour the seam bowlers, uh, and, and I think it's uh, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say that that's a, a deliberate ploy um, to, to give give us the home advantage. But I don't think that's going to promote spinners uh, to the level that we need them to be. Um, and it, I, I, you've only got to look at the history of probably over the last two decades or three decades. If you look at the international cricket, the most dominant bowlers uh, that have dominated, whether it's test cricket or one-day cricket, has been uh, spinners, really. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's hard to fathom as to why we're going down, down that path because... You know, we do have spinners. How good they are, we don't know because uh, I don't think they get an, uh, an equal opportunity to, to show their wares and, and develop over a long period of time. It is an art. It is an art that takes a long time to master. And, you know, you're talking about four or five years uh, before you, you start seeing results with young spinners. So, yeah, yeah look, I, I, I think um, certainly the conditions um, dictate that. But the, the, the critical part is, uh, yeah, I don't think that the coaches and uh, captains um, are good enough to to to, to uh, utilise the spinners that we do have. Um, they seem to have, you know, a, a few few good performances, and then suddenly they're back. But they've only got to get a bad performance, and then suddenly they're put on the back shelf. So, yeah, I, I think that there is a need to be, but perhaps that uh, 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 coaches and and captains 
need to have a serious look on, look at themselves and saying, well, are we are we using spinners as well as we should be? Mm. As, as a spin bowler, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, yeah, two spin bowlers talking here. We're very happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that it's a, it's just in New Zealand. I think if you even look at worldwide, other than the Asian countries where you know conditions are are favourable for spinners, so they are going to. Be. But the great thing about the Asian countries is they they still take them overseas and they still use them as attacking bowlers, whereas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 seem to be be struggling in that department, and uh, yeah, I I I I for one for, for sure, uh, I do feel for spinners, modern day spinners. Um, you know, I, I read an article that Jeetan uh, Patel wrote the other day that you know it's the same scenario in England where you know spinners just don't do enough work or get that bowling that they should be doing. You know, you know where I, where I came in my era uh, when I played county cricket. You know, spinners are bowling twelve to fifteen hundred overs a year. Um, you know, whereas, you know, in first class cricket, here, uh, you know, if you've bowled two hundred and fifty overs in a season, you've done bloody well. Mm. So, you know, that, that's the crutch of it, really. Is the fact is that, you know, good spinners only mature into their sort of late twenties, early thirties before you see the full full potential of of, of the spinners. So, Deepak, the thing we want to finish the podcast with, and we do this with all of our guests, is a little bit of a quick fire round. So, want you to shoot from the hip in terms of answers to the the next few questions. We'll start with what your what was your favourite innings? Um, my favourite innings. Oh, look, yeah, I suppose probably more uh, the fact that we nearly saved the Test match in Christchurch, although it was run out for ninety nine, but. You know, there were several times where I probably got 20s and 30s uh, to contribute towards a win, but yeah, it's a hard to say the favourite innings. Uh, you know, when you've got several sort of first-class hundreds, they stand out as well. But it, at international level, any any innings of of any substance is is ones that you'd remember. So yeah, probably the few that I did have the good ones in in, in at the international levels, and they're the ones that stand out. It's obviously really, really tough to compare eras, but certainly your era, there were some fantastic bowlers around, particularly, I guess, in this in the seeming department. Who was the toughest one to face? Oh, I think you know you you only got to look, you don't have to look too far. I mean, the toughest to face, not particular one, but the West Indians in the sort of. In the sort of 80s and, and 90s, they were just phenomenal. Um, there was just no respite. You know, you, when you got guys bowling around the sort of 50, 150, 50, 155 Ks, and there's four of them coming at you <laughs> in a session, uh, and that's tough. That's tough in any sense. But like you did, as you just mentioned, that uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, or 70s, 80s, and 90s, there weren't many weak countries that play test cricket. Uh, every time you played test cricket, it was a test. Um, mm. So, yeah, look, I, I think that that's changed. Uh, it, it's fair to say. Um, but, yeah, um, I would say the West Indian fast bowlers in the, the, the 80s and 90s were, were, were streets ahead. So the next question we ask is your favourite spell of bowling. 
Lippy's put delivery in brackets next to it. So I think what he's angling for here is, is it getting one through the gate of a right-hander or is it is it schnicking off a left-hander? But yeah, what, what's your your favourite spell or your favourite delivery? Oh, look, yes. I, I think that I, I got Graham Gooch in Wellington uh, the first day of the test match. I think it might have been before lunch. And like you say, any off-spinner dreams of that, getting that ball to drift away and then landing it <laughs> sort of a... Uh, well outside off stand and then spinning it back in to to, to hit in middle and off. That, that, yeah, any any off spinner would uh, agree. With, with, I'm sure they'd all agree with me. But yeah, that that particular delivery to to uh, Graham Gooch getting him out like that. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's certainly one one type of delivery that an off spinner would always dream of. Who was the toughest batsman you had to bowl at? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. There's several. Uh, to me, Gordon Greenwich was the toughest bowl, uh, batsman that I bowled to. Um, you know, he he just never he just never allowed you to to rest. You, you could never you could never bowl to him without him actually coming at you and attacking you. And he didn't play too many defensive shots against you. So I just found him the, the hardest between him and Viv would be up there. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't bowl a lot to Viv in Test cricket, but Gordon I did. And uh, yeah, between the two, I, I, I still think that Gordon was the hardest to bowl to. Who was your favourite teammate? Who do you enjoy rooming with? <laughs> oh, look, I, I, yeah, I can't say that I had a real bad uh, roomie or teammate, but uh, yeah, I, look, I always enjoyed playing with and uh, Trevor Franklin was one. Uh, Chris Harris, I, I roomed with him on a regular basis on tour uh, or even at home, to be honest with you. He, he was a very interesting character, as I'm sure. Um, but he kept entertained, uh, I must admit. He didn't get a lot of sleep, but he, he certainly <laughs> entertained. Who'd he up there? And I guess, again, you, you played in that sort of era where the West Indies probably didn't need to say too much to you out on the field. But was there a sledge that you remember from your playing days? Oh, I look sleazy here. But during my playing days, they, they were smart. They were funny. You know, there was nothing personal. Uh, yeah. The one that I got uh, was when I drove uh, in my uh, debut test match against uh, the West Indies at uh, the Basin. And I fought really hard for about an hour and a half, and I'd got nothing in my half. And Michael came off his short run-up and tried to swing one bolts just slightly fuller than he had been doing. And I go on the front foot and hit him on the up through the covers. And the next one, he ran in and whistled it past, straight past my, my helmet and said, oh, you like driving? And he said, well, you better go and hire a taxi. And that, that, <laughs> that's probably the start. <laughs> And final question from us, when you look back on your career, what's the moment that stands out as your proudest? Oh, look, to, to be given the opportunity to play international cricket, um, by Brazil cricket, uh, well, that, 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 that's the ultimate for me. Uh, every time I've played international cricket for, for New Zealand, um, yeah, that, that's the highlight. That, that's what 
I dreamt of as a young kid. That's what I aspired to do. I never got the opportunity to come over here and do that. Um, you know, and I had a reasonable successful international career. Um, and it's given me not only fond memories, but something that yeah, I'll, I'll take with me uh, when I finish. Awesome. Well, Dipak, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk through your career with you. I know uh, certainly the spinners in the room have been yeah, delighted to kind of reminisce about some of those moments. And I know it's one of Lippy's life ambitions to understand the, the story behind opening the bowling in that 92 World Cup. So, look, thanks so much for taking us on a, a walk down memory lane. Oh, my pleasure.